Go ahead this morning and open your Bibles, if you will, to Daniel chapter 6. Now, as I, as I always say, I, I, I always tell pastor I'm more than happy to cover this forum class for him. However, I will not answer any questions. So if anything I, if anything I preach about this morning evokes questions in your mind, be sure and email them to pastor and he can answer them for you. Okay. Um, all right. You know, it's really hard. It's really hard to come up with a... Uh, Sunday school message. It's not even, it's, it's really difficult actually to come up with a message like this morning's and tonight's when you're, uh, well, one of the advantages of being a pastor is you can preach series of messages. So you can, you can come up with passages of scriptures and, and go. But when you fill in like I do, uh, the few times I do a year, maybe five or six times I fill in for pastor, um, sometimes it's hard to decide what to preach about. Uh, just to pick things out. So what I usually do is I pray and I ask the Lord for, for direction. And, and I, I think about what we need as a church body. Um, I've been in Berea now. It's almost 23, be 23 years in January that my wife and I have been here. So I know this church pretty well. I know the people pretty well. And um, so I, I, I usually sit back and try to think about what, what's something that I could preach on that would help us as a church, help us... Uh, uh, strengthen some of our weaknesses, perhaps, and, and things such as that. And I was really struggling with Sunday school. I was actually going to ask Jared to, to do the Sunday school this morning because he prepares one every week. And, and, but then I, I started thinking this last year in the school, uh, in our chapels on a weekly basis, I, I decided to take us on a journey through the Bible looking at different Bible characters. And we started in Genesis with Adam, and we went right down the line uh, 27 messages I preached this last year on Bible characters, uh, individuals. Some good, some bad. I didn't, I didn't leave off the bad. Uh, I, I, I did, dealt with the bad ones like Cain and, and men like that as well. But today, we're going, I, I chose, this was, I, I thought, one of the most interesting Bible characters. Uh, one of the best. Actually, I was torn between Daniel and Joseph. And I decided to go ahead and, and, and preach on Daniel this morning and teach us from the life of Daniel. So this morning we're going to look at uh, Daniel and his character. So if you'll open with me to Daniel chapter 6, and I'm going to read the first four verses you can read along silently. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom an hundred and twenty princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents, uh, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. I love that, that phrase, an excellent spirit was in Daniel. Uh, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find none occasion nor fault. Now, that's another tremendous statement, isn't it? They couldn't find anything fault-worthy of Daniel. That's quite a statement. Uh, For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Lord, we love you so much, and uh, we know that you love us far more than we could ever love you. Lord, we love love you and thank you for your, your mercy upon us and the grace that you bestow unto us. We thank you for your word that you've given us that we might have comfort, that we might have strength, 
that we might be given direction. And we ask now, as we study from your word, that you would teach us today, instruct us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be the teacher of the word and that all that I will say will glorify and honor Christ. Thank you for this time now. We ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Of all the characters that we find in Scripture, very few are as favorably pictured as Daniel. A very interesting statement was made concerning him by even his worst of enemies, the men who sought to destroy him, the 120 princes that the king set over the kingdom. And, and we, we read it just a moment ago in, in, in verse 4. Let's read it again. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Now look at the very next verse, verse 5. Then said these men, We shall, um, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So I believe, given this, this fact, I believe that we need to see what made Daniel the man of God that he was. I mean, these men in verse 5 stated, the only way we're going to get anything on Daniel is if we can find something in his God's law that will conflict with the king's law. And of course, we, we know that that's exactly what they did. They went about to create a law that, that said that no man can make any petitions to any gods other than the king. And they knew that Daniel was going to break that law. So that's what they were going to use to hang him. So number one this morning, I want us to, to, to see in our study the loyalty of Daniel. So number one, see his loyalty. His loyalty. In Daniel chapter 1, you might want to turn to it if you want. It's going to project on the screen, however. On Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, we read, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Daniel did not have to remain loyal to God's laws. He did not have to re remain loyal to the commands of God. However, he possessed a very admirable characteristic, and that is that of loyalty. You know, Daniel was in a foreign land. He, he, was, uh, he was taken captive, and he, he had virtually and I'm going to mention this again in a moment, he had no hope, but yet he chose to be loyal to God. You know, I've known many Christians who, when in, the, when in, when in an atmosphere, when in an environment where it's not conducive to be godly, will lay aside their, their principles, will lay aside their convictions, and allow themselves to just go with the flow. But that wasn't Daniel. Now, what is loyalty? Uh, loyalty, by definition, is the quality of steadfast allegiance, unwavering devotion, regardless of circumstances. This is the definition of loyalty. Steadfast allegiance, 
an unwavering devotion regardless of circumstances. When, when we will, if, if we are loyalty, if we are loyal to something or someone, it doesn't matter what's happening around us. We hold to our convictions. We hold to the expectations of the, of the time. Daniel did not simply view God's commands as a set of rules to follow. Um, there's there's a, an entire wave across this country of, of, of people who call themselves fundamentalists. And their entire righteousness is wrapped up in their ability to keep rules, to maintain standards. However, Daniel did not view his Christian life in that manner. Daniel didn't look at, at, his, at his actions as a means of earning righteousness before God. So he did, not, he did not view God's commands as a set of rules to follow. He accepted God's laws as his pledge, as his vow unto God. Now I am sure that as a young boy he pledged his heart and soul unto God. He pledged his loyalty to the commands of God, not as a set of standards that raise one above others, rather as the very nature of the heart and mind of a believer. We need to understand today, and I'm going I'm to speak about this in, in the morning message. We need to understand today that God's laws aren't rules that we follow. God's laws, God's laws are principles written upon our heart. They're, they're what we do because we're a child of God. We don't do them to earn status with God. We don't do them to be elevated with God. We do them because we love him and because he has written his laws upon our hearts and we obey them as a matter of loyalty to our father. Daniel, as we will discuss later, did not accept God's laws simply because it felt good or because it was popular to do them. With Daniel, obedience to God was not optional. Loyalty to God was not an option for Daniel because it was his heart. He he obeyed and his loyalty was rooted in his very soul. It was foundational. His loyalty was the cornerstone of his walk. You know, I grow so weary of the philosophy of our day. The philosophy that says... God doesn't expect you to succeed. He just wants you to try your best. Now, I know this philosophy permeates a lot of Christianity because as, as an independent, fundamental Baptist, I used to tell people that very thing in my ignorance. I used to tell people, God, you don't have to succeed. God just wants you to try to do your best. But... To, to, to that, I'm going to respond with an old Greek term, hockey pucks. That's not God's philosophy. God, let me tell you something. God does expect you to succeed. He does. I've, I've known people that have failed in their Christian walk, and they say, oh, well, God, God understands. No, I'm sorry. God doesn't understand. He does expect you to be loyal to him. He does expect you to be loyal to his word. In Romans chapter 6, Paul writes, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. 
Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. This philosophy that states that all God expects you to do is try your best has its roots in hell itself. God doesn't expect you to do your your best. He expects you to walk in the newness of life that has been given unto you. He expects you to yield your heart and mind to his Holy Spirit. He expects you to live in the nature of Christ. And he expects you to live in the righteousness of Christ, which has been imputed unto us. I, when I taught this lesson in the high school, I illustrated it this way. What does the imputed righteousness of Christ mean? Well, it would mean something like this. You have a disease in your body. What do you do? The doctor imputes unto you medicine that will help. What does he do? Well, he takes out a syringe injected with all of the medicine, and he puts that, he imputes that into your body. He, he, he inserts it into you. And that's exactly what God did when we were born again. He imputed unto us the righteousness of Christ. In a manner of speaking, God inoculated us against the flesh. And we have the imputed righteousness. And it is this. It is that nature of Christ. It is that imputed righteousness that God expects you to live in. And if you live in that nature and if you live in that righteousness, guess what? You're going to succeed. And God expects you to succeed. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, we read, For we are his workmanship. We're, We're his work. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God has ordained that you and I will succeed. It's his will that we go forward and that we grow in in the knowledge and the understanding of his word and, and, and in the likeness of Jesus Christ. One day we will awaken in the image of Christ. But until that day, God expects you and I to be studying, to be growing, to be going forward in our growth, in our, in our life, and to succeed. He doesn't expect you to try your best. So as you sit here this morning, if you are not walking in the newness of life, if you are not living in the righteousness found in Christ Jesus, then your role, your status as a child of God is indeed in question. Let me ask you real quickly, what was, the, what was the only thing your best was able to accomplish? Can anyone tell me that? Condemnation. Hmm? The only thing our best could do was condemn us to eternity in the lake of fire. So God isn't asking you to do your best today because your best is worthless. I'm sorry to say that. I'm sorry if I pop your bubble, your ego bubble. Paul said, for I know that in me dwelleth no good. And if Paul would stand there and say he had no good in him, what about me? 
So God doesn't ask us to do our best. He asks us to do his best, to walk in his righteousness. Daniel was born again. He was a true believer, and that produced in him a life of loyalty to God. Daniel was going to do the right thing regardless. He was prepared, he was prepared to die. He was prepared to starve to death rather than defile himself, rather than, rather than violate his loyalty to God concerning the foods he would eat and, 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 and the things he would drink. What about us this morning? How is our loyalty to God? What would it take? What would it take to cause me to violate God's word? Well, I would hope nothing could do that. I would hope that I would be prepared to, as Daniel was, prepared to, to say, I will not defile myself. So Daniel was a, was a man of loyalty, and this loyalty produced in him great character. But then secondly this morning, I'd like us to see his wisdom. In Daniel chapter 1, if you're still there, verses 19 and 20, we see, And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel. Like Daniel, I'm sorry, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, we more familiarly know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore stood they before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. Now, we see here in Scripture that Daniel was endued with wisdom from God. Now, as I talk about this this morning, I must address the issue that there are two types of wisdom that we must consider. First of all, there is what we would call worldly wisdom. And then secondly, there is what is referred to in Scripture as heavenly wisdom. So first, let's look at the wisdom of the world. In James chapter 3, James writes this, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Now this, this earthly wisdom, this worldly wisdom that James refers to, I want you to notice the predominant characteristics of those that, that are endued with this wisdom. He gave two. He said it's bitter envying, and strife. Now, I'm, I'm happy to say that, by and large in our church, we don't have these things. We don't have, we don't have a church full of bickering and fighting people. But certainly, that kind of, that kind of behavior is, is not from God. It's not, it's not heavenly wisdom. And bitter envying. We don't, we don't possess these things in our church as, as a whole. However, there are small pockets of it in every church, no matter where you go. Every church you go to, you're going to find some envy, some bitterness, some strife. 
But you and I are to, as Daniel was, be wise and examine our hearts and minds. And, and if we possess these things, we need to eradicate them as quickly as possible. For you know, as I know, the Bible says that bitterness will destroy you and destroy all those around you. So we need to be careful about this. These are not the characteristics of a person who is walking in the righteousness of Christ. So what are the characteristics of godly wisdom? Well, James continues in verse 17 and tells us, but the wisdom that is from above, or or heavenly wisdom, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Now, this is a tremendous contrast, isn't it? The wisdom of the world produces people who are full of bitterness, full of envy, full of strife, full of contention, full of pride, full of arrogance, backbiting. The world's wisdom says grab for all you can get. The, world, the wisdom of the world says take care of numero uno. Huh? If it feels good, do it. All these things. But the wisdom of God, when we are endued with godly wisdom, James says it's pure. It's pure in its intent. It's, it's pure in its sincerity. He says it's, it's peaceable. In other words, the person who's possessed with godly wisdom always seeks to dwell at peace with men, never seeking to be a a source or a cause of contention, never allowing trouble to go forward. A person who has godly wisdom is the type of person that even, even if they didn't do something wrong, they'll go to that person and say, I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? Now, all of you husbands, you know that's true. We've all had to go, and even when we're dead in the right, we go, I'm sorry. Well, you ought to be. Huh? Your wife's sitting next to you, you're afraid to say amen, aren't you? Yeah, uh uh-huh. This this wisdom from God is is gentle. Doesn't have, it's not full of arrogance. It's not abrasive. It's not strifeful. It's, it's, it's just gentle. You know, when I raised my children, I was, I was a disciplinarian. I was pretty stern. Pretty, but you know, I, I, for some reason, I don't know why, but I find that with my grandson, I've developed a gentle streak. I don't, I don't know what it is. He'll do things I used to spank my children for, and I'll say, oh, come see, baby. Oh, and I'll hug him, and I love him. I don't know. Gary, maybe you can explain it to me later. I don't know. Gentle. The wisdom that comes from God, the Bible says, is easily entreated. It's pleasant to receive. You know, a man who has wisdom from God is, he's, he's just, his wisdom, his advice is always easy to receive. It's always pleasant. It's always, it's always helpful. It's merciful and fruitful. Produces good. And, and considers the feelings and the, 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 the pains of another person. James says it's impartial. 
It's just and fair, without favoritism. And he says it's not hypocritical. The person who, who has God's wisdom, what you see is what you get. Not a phony, not a fake, not a, not a facade. You know, there's far too many of God's people put on a happy face, put on a, a facade, and come to church on Sunday morning. And then when they leave, they take that off and go back to the old self all week long. Learn to live, listen, learn to live every moment of every day just like you were sitting in the church pew. Huh? If we could do that, we'd be, we'd be such a good testimony. We'd be happy people, full of joy. And this is what we see in the life of Daniel. Uh, when, when the king, listen, Daniel refused to defile himself. He wasn't going to eat the king's meat. He wasn't going to drink the king's wine. And, and his caretaker was worried about that. He says, man, if, if, if I give you something else to eat, you're going to stand up before the king. You're going to look weak. You're going to look sickly. You're going to look pale. He's going to get mad at me, and I'm going to pay the price for it. But when we read a moment ago, when these young men stood before the king, they, in, their, in their appearance and in their understanding and in their wisdom, they were ten times that of any man around them. Because they followed the wisdom of God. They applied godly wisdom to their hearts. You know, I know, I know some, especially young people, some, some of you parents that have teenagers, I don't know how you're going to manage to do it, but you need, to, you need to try somehow to get them out of the TV set, out of the television. That, let me tell you something. The television is your biggest enemy in raising your children. You would, most of you would never allow a hip-hopper or, a, or, or someone like that, to come in your house and spend time with your children, would you? You'd kick them out the door. But yet they come into your house every day through the television set. And the minds of your children are being shaped by the wisdom that's, that's given to them. And, and it's, it's a form of wisdom, even though it may not be wisdom at its best form. A philosophy is, being, is permeating their hearts and minds. A philosophy is permeating your hearts and minds also, by the way. Because when you hit 18, the television doesn't lose its effect on you. So you need to be so careful. And Daniel, Daniel had a great advantage over us because they didn't have television in Daniel's day. But he didn't follow the philosophies and wisdoms of the king and the men that were around them. He stayed loyal to God and he followed godly wisdom. So we see Daniel and see his loyalty. We see his wisdom. And then thirdly this morning, let us see his contentment. His contentment. Now, of all the characteristics a man can possess, I firmly believe from my experiences of the last 31 years, almost 32 years of ministry, I believe that contentment is probably one of the key characteristics. Because if you cannot be a contented person, nothing will ever You're just going to have a miserable life. You need to learn contentment. In Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10, we see now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed. Now the the writing here that that we're being referred to is the, the, the law of the Medes and Persians that I told you about a little while ago. You see, these 120 princes got together and they said, we got to find some kind of way to... Uh, have a, to, to, to 
find a way to make Daniel break the king's law because of his God's law. Because we know that no matter what, he's going to obey his God's law before he obeys the king's law. So they came up with the, with the, the writing, and, and they had the, kings, the king sign it. And it was the law of the Medes and Persians, which could not be broken. And the king himself couldn't break that law. And the, the law was that no man can make any petition for 30 days to anyone other than the king. Couldn't pray to any gods. You couldn't do any of that. So now we're here at verse 10. It says, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. He didn't go into his house and bar his window shut and, and throw a, a curtain over the windows and go in a dark corner and bow down and pray. He didn't do that. He opened his windows so that anyone who wanted to see could see. He, he had no fear. He, he had no, no, no fret or worry about what was going to happen when he broke the king's law because he, he knew most certainly he was going to break the law. And in this, we see the contentment of Daniel. He was content to face whatever he had to face to obey God. He was completely satisfied in every circumstance in his life. You know, nowhere in the book of Daniel, despite the fact that, that he was uh, abducted as a child, and, and as was the common practice in those days when one nation overthrew the other, generally speaking, all of the royalty were put to death. And Daniel grew up in the palace in Jerusalem, so obviously he was, he was a part of the royal entourage. Daniel, in all likelihood, witnessed the death, the murder of his own parents. He was taken from his home. He was taken captive, put in a foreign land, forced to, to do things he, he didn't want to do. But yet in all of this, just as with Joseph, in all of this, we never see Daniel. We never see him express hatred the king because of his captivity in fact he served the king loyally uh, he didn't despise the king because of his ordinances which, which were uh, against the, the ordinances of God he, he didn't rebel against the king as an act of he didn't, he didn't try we don't see anywhere in scripture that Daniel tried to stir up a rebellion among all the people of Israel we don't see that he was content he was content to be where he was he was content to be in the, in the circumstances he was in. He was content to obey the king when and where he could. But he was also content to face the consequences for obeying God. He wasn't afraid. When it came time to pray and make his petitions known unto God, he opened his windows. And he knelt down and he faced Jerusalem. And he didn't whisper his prayers. He prayed as he did three times a day, as he did before. He was content. And this is a common characteristic of the men we find in Scripture who faithfully obeyed God. In Acts chapter 5, we read in verses 27 through 29, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God 
rather than men. And that's exactly the attitude that we as God's children need to have. We should be loyal citizens. We should obey the government when and where we can. But when it comes right down to it, when the rubber meets the road, God is, is first and foremost in our life, and we obey God, not men. We do, the, we do what needs to be done, and, and this comes from a heart of contentment. If you're content in, 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 in what God has given you in your life, if you're a, content per, a contented person, then when it's time to make the hard decisions in life, you'll make the right ones. You'll, you'll do exactly as Paul did. You'll do exactly as Peter and James and John and all the apostles did. You'll do, you'll do as Joseph did. You'll do as Daniel did. Contentment. Now, concerning contentment, I believe the biggest problem that Christians face in learning to live a contented life is that of fear. Fear. Fear is, fear is, is gripping. As I mentioned Wednesday night, it's debilitating. In Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, Jesus told us about, warned us about this. He said, And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Uh, concerning Daniel's associates, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their King Nebuchadnezzar passed another law. He, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar had a bad habit of passing stupid laws. And he made another law that he built a giant image, 90-foot-tall image of himself. And when you hear the music play, you bow down and worship that image. That was all out of pride and arrogance on his part. Shagrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to do it because they would not worship any god other than, than the god of, of, of eternity. And when brought before the king, and he said, hey, didn't I warn you guys? Weren't you warned that when you heard the music, you would bow down and worship that image? And they, those three young men looked at him and said, listen, king, we're not afraid of you. There's nothing you can do to our soul. And if it's God's will that we die in that furnace, then so be it. But we're not going to obey you, and you're not going to control us. And they were content to face that consequence. They were, they were more than willing. And they, just as Daniel, nowhere in Scripture do we find that they were discontented in any manner or any way. And they were not being arrogant before the king. They were not being haughty before the king. They were simply being loyal to God, and they were, they were fearless to obey God. And, and fear did not grip them. Therefore, they were able to maintain themselves. Fear. Christians today, they face fear of being rejected by those around them. Fear of being alienated, and, or fear of being labeled a fanatic. They have fear of missing out on, on, on fleshly pleasures. Fear of persecution in the workplace. You know, I was, before I came on staff, I, I worked in an office here in Ronan Park. And there was a young man who was always being 
very critical of Israel. and he, he didn't like Jews. And he would always say something nasty. So I took my Bible. I always carried my Bible to work with me. I took my Bible. I went over to the copy machine. and I copied the passages of scriptures where, where God said, if you curse Israel, you'll be cursed. And, and I copied those passages and I brought them to him. I said, you know, you might want to read this. You might just want to read this. And he read it. And he came over and he said, wow, I never, I never knew this. I said, yeah, these are God's people you're, you're, you're cursing, you're criticizing. Listen, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take a stand with people and be, be kind, be gentle. Be, don't be arrogant, don't be proud, don't be smart aleck like I see so many of these so-called soul winners out there just being as dirty and nasty to, to people as they can be calling them stupid and ignorant and everything else. Be kind, be loving, but be, but be stern and, and fear not. Have courage. Fear will, will take away your heart. You know, that's what the devil's trying to do. He's trying to inflict fear in the hearts of believers because he knows if he can get you fearful, if he can make you afraid, then you'll, you will not go forth as Daniel did. You will not go forth as Joseph did. You will not go forth as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. And each one of these men gained great honor for God. I don't have time, but you can read it later uh, in the book of Daniel. Uh, he was cast into the den of lions. And the king loved Daniel. Darius loved Daniel, and he knew, he knew that he had made a mistake when he wrote that law, when, when he, it entrapped Daniel. And the Bible says in the morning, he, he couldn't sleep at night, and in the morning he ran to the mouth of the lion's den and cried out, Daniel, was your God able to save you? And Daniel cried back and said, yes, king, for in me there was no unrighteousness. And I love the ending of that story. The, the 120 princes that, were, that were, were responsible for entrapping the king and, and Daniel, the Bible says they were cast into the den of lions. And before they, they even hit the ground, the lions, this Bible says, break their bones to pieces. I'd have loved to have been in that lion's den as a little gnat that night and sat there and watched those lions on one end of that cave looking at Daniel. And Daniel sitting on the other end of that cave looking at those lions. And nary a one would move. Why? Because we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Why? Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Daniel was a great man of character. When I closed this message in the, in the high school class, in chapel service, I, I, I told every teenager, dare to be a Daniel. Dare to be a Daniel. Where's your loyalty tonight, today? Is your loyalty in God or is it in something else? Where is your, I forgot my own point, where's your wisdom today? Is it earthly wisdom? Is it, is it heavenly wisdom? And what about contentment? Are you content with what you have? Are you content in your life? Are you content in your marriage? Are you content with your children? Are you content with your job? Are you content just to have the things that God has seen fit to give you? By the way, you have exactly what God wants you to have. No more, no less. We just need to learn to be happy and content and trust that God is, is watching over us and doing all 
that is best for us. All right, folks, I got to shut up because I could preach for hours. Uh, so let's go ahead and break here. Let's pray and we'll break for 10 minutes. Father, thank you for your servant Daniel. Thank you for his example unto us. Help us to emulate uh, him and emulate as he was Christ. Help us to walk in your righteousness and do all that you have called us to do. Thank you for this time. Now we ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you're dismissed.